of time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? Hello and welcome to the All of Time and Space podcast. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark. And uh, this time around is a special show. We're going to be looking back at uh, the the glorious, beauteous magic of season two. But before we start that, Mark, um, hmm. I can't help noticing I was, I was getting my cup of tea coming back up the stairs. There were some funny noises coming from the time lash. You wouldn't know uh, anything about um, that. Yeah. Now, I know how you're going to be, but we all make mistakes, and it wasn't on purpose. I was just trying to do a few sort of subtle upgrades to the Time Lash, and everything was going fine. I've added in a 1970s 8-track cartridge player, which I think really brings it up to a whole new level of sophistication. But the problem started when I put in the old uh, Best of Chicory tip cartridge and it all went horribly pear-shaped from there i see so is it i mean is it still functional are we going to be able to toss Um, our guests into it well um now here's here's where the real problems start the the tinsel got jammed inside the eight track and um i was really struggling to get it sorted so I thought I'd get in touch with our good friend Rob Irwin from the Doctor Who show because he's really into his gadgets and technology. And um, well, he went into the time lash, but I, I haven't actually seen him come back out again. You have scattered, you've scattered Rob Irwin through the, uh, the vortex. That's what you're telling yeah. me. Well, potentially, yeah. <sighs> you twit. Ah, I know. Well, uh, we've got a. Can you can you get it fixed in time for for the next regular episode? We're, we're going to want to keep the mind probe well, section know, of the show going. That I really like that. I'll give it a go. I can't promise. Well, we'll promise. Make it happen. Fix it. Oh, okay. I will try my best. Okay. Well, we'll watch this space then. All right then. Cool. So, what should we talk about on this fine day? Well, I thought we could go back to the obverse book, the pub from nineteen seventies, and and talk through where we rated the the stories from season two. Oh, that would be fantastic! Do you think we'll we'll get that seat by the fire again? Well, we'd like to think so. Yeah. Yes, that would be good. All right. Well, I'll have um, I'll have a pint of um, Stefan Vogelsmeyer's Dark Regret, and oh. I think a packet of cheese and onion. Nice. Okay. Nice combination. I thought so. All right, well, right, here goes then. I'm setting the coordinates.
Ah, right. Well, it's busy in here, isn't it? It is. It is. You'd think all these people would be, I don't know, at work or doing something useful. Yeah, I suppose it's the 70s, isn't it? They're all uh, in the pub on their lunch break. It does look very 70s. There's a lot of very, very unfortunate hair happening here and, Mm. and some quite shocking flared trousers. Yeah, and the collars on the shirts. Blimey, if there's a sudden gust of wind, there'd be people taking off. Oh, I tell you, you could have somebody's eye out with those. I know. Shocking. Ugh, Shocking. Terrible. Anyway. Oh, we managed to get our favourite table again, which is good. That is good. That is the beauty of having a time machine, is we can well, okay. literally have like five or six goes at arriving um, and, and just keep trying until there's no one sitting in our table. <laughs> um, it's not really what the... TARDIS was designed for, but I, you know. So, shall we go through what we thought of the stories from season two? I think that would be really good fun. Would you like to hazard a guess at which story? Because there's always got to be one story that comes bottom of the pile. I think it's going to be pretty obvious, but see if you can hazard a guess as to which story came in ninth place. So, and this is this is based on the scores we gave it, along with the this is relevant based on guest. Our Yes. Um, I uh, so I can't really remember any of the individual scores we gave it, so I'm just going to have to go with my gut instinct, uh, which is that the Space Museum was quite poor. <laughs> you are correct. The Space oh. Museum was in last place by quite a long way. So Matt Barber, our guest, gave it five points. You gave it three points, and I gave it five points. So that came out with a massive total of 4.33 on the average out of 10. Wow, that's that's quite low. And when you think that um, mm. most of those scores would have been given purely for episode one of the Space Museum, that, that really true. doesn't, doesn't <laughs> indicate <laughs> doesn't a lot. Doesn't say much of the rest of no. it. No. <laughs> so, and to kind of... You know, recapitulate what we said at the time. Part one was interesting and atmospheric and kind of innovative and really exciting. And then it became just the worst kind of plodding uh, runaround with some really, really undercooked kind of uh, alien makeup and costumes and narrative and direction and um, everything. Yeah, there wasn't an awful lot to really cling to in terms of positives, was there really? I mean, the um, the locals from the planet were um, a bit sort of weedy and pathetic, weren't they? And the, the guys who were in charge were very grey and quite boring. Yeah, it was one of those stories where you think, you know, if, if, if you're the Doctor, you think, well, I could save these people and overthrow their evil dictators, but now can I be asked? <laughs> Um, there were some nice bits. I thought the uh, the bit where the Doctor gets interrogated was quite fun. Where he's, do you remember, he's got that little monitor that connects into his that's mind right. so you can that's see the little right. images coming up. So I thought yeah. that was quite fun. That was good. There was obviously that bit of business where he climbs inside a Dalek. Um, yeah, yeah. So there are little moments throughout the story that are worth kind of latching onto and and provided a lot of excitement and and fun Ian beating off several men at once yeah i mean um we'll possibly come back to that but it was it was good to see him really going at them uh all guns blazing um Mm -hmm. all all hands to the pumps um (laughs) 
and um, I'm to be honest with you, I'm now struggling to remember anything else from it. I mean, the mm. space-time visualizer, which yeah, um, that was pretty cool. So it's a futuristic piece of technology, the size of a yeah. large industrial hairdryer from the 1950s. I like it. I th- I just wonder if it wouldn't have really been perhaps the size and shape of a fairly advanced iPad or something if it was from yeah. the future. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember it's it's the sixties, and this was their best guess at. No, what it wasn't the sixties, so. Mark. It was the future. Okay. All right. Duh. I like. It. I mean, it's not the most practical gadget. I mean, you can't imagine just you know, wandering about the place, and carrying it with you because that would be horrendous. But I like it. It's cool. Well, you can if you fix the time lash, you can have the space time visualizer. Oh. Oh well, that that makes it seem a little bit more uh, more of a fun job to try and sort it out. Good. Okay then. So yes. So uh, without any shadow of a doubt then that was by far and away the bottom of the pile it really was right so i can ask you to guess what came in in eighth place so it's all a bit tricky from here on in so my guesses are going to be really random and i I think we generally kind of enjoyed most of the stories yeah so I'm wondering if it's maybe the Romans next. Ah, uh, I'm afraid you're wrong, okay. young Ian. Well, I, I, you know, I thought I might be. I generally am in life. Yeah, um, I think you could be in for a bit of a shock here, and I think our listeners will be. In eighth place, it's the Time Meddler. Oh, wow, that is a shock. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember, so, you know, generally we, we really liked that one, didn't we? Yeah, well, some of us did. Uh, Jim from the Grinoid Podcast gave it eight points. Right. I gave it eight points. Right. And you gave it six points. So that left it at 7.33 points out of ten on the average. Well, that so means you that... you pulled it down. <laughs> that means that all the rest of the stories did really well then. Um, well, I mean, that that's one way of looking at it. So you you really... You're going to upset a lot of people here, Ian, because this is a real fan favourite, and you, because of your selfish reasoning of giving it that score, have labelled it only slightly better than the Space Museum. Okay. Well, so here's the thing. How about we (laughs) frame another podcaster and say they did it? Anyone in particular in mind? I'm thinking of someone like, I don't know, Lee from Strangers in Space. Maybe we could claim he wandered through you know had marmalade all over his fingers you know smeared the bit of paper mm, yeah uh, no like i think that. um no i think lee gets a lot of stick particularly from certain members of that podcast so no i don't think it would be lee i don't think that'd be the sort of thing he would do he's a much more thoughtful person than than you're making out so no i don't think lee would have done that okay well then i I will step up manfully and take the blame for this. I think my problem with it was, while the idea was excellent and the execution of certain elements of it was really good, I mean, really mm. good, um, I just think the the uh, setting and the, the kind of A story involving these three uh, hairy forest dwellers um, <laughs> was perhaps not as good as it could have been, and there were some 
uh, and you know this is not that much of a criticism to say there are logic gaps in a uh, story aimed at children that was made a hundred years ago but um, <laughs> I yeah I I just found some of the the story elements were perhaps underdeveloped and that for me mm. because that's always going to be the angle I'm coming from um, yeah you are the story guy aren't you yeah I'm I'm the it's kind your writerly of, ways it is my writerly ways and I make no apology mm. for that unless no. um, anyone who wants to take me to task on this is a, a bigger man than me with mm. perhaps a weapon in which case I mm. will back down and fold like a or probably Lee Rawlings from Strangers in Space podcast after what you've tried to do to him yeah that's that's true um, yeah. is he is he quite tall he's not but I wouldn't want to mess with him is he is he he's a sturdy unit is he he's he's hard as nails yeah he's a librarian oh god yeah oh those people yeah. are, those people yeah, are mess with them. no I remember once I was I was walking past the library and this guy came out he'd had half of his leg bitten off oh. um three days overdue on a, an mm. Agatha Christie so it wasn't even a relatively wow. new title but he'd been mm. he'd been gored and he'd been mauled so um hey Lee you if you're listening kind of go. um I I'd just like to give you some what have I got on my desk that I could bribe him with <laughs> some pens and nice. a selection of paperbacks and my I say you work in publishing keys. surely you must have some freebies you can throw his way I mean yeah that that is a that is a thing that I can do I've got four mm. Marvel books um, oh. from Aconite Publishing on my desk they're doing a nice. series of um, expanded universe books about the Marvel universe and I've got to kind of mm. read all of them by next week so um, ah yeah, but yeah. But so when maybe I'm done you shouldn't be them, hanging out in a pub. I mean, should well, really be at home reading these books. Yeah, but I mean, everyone needs a bit of uh, a bit of light relief. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you not to go where you were going to go, and <laughs> just keep it keep it civil. So, what did you what did you think of the time meddler then? I don't see what your big problem is. I mean, yes, okay, the story's thin. I think we said that at the time. There's so much to like about it, you know, the the character of the monk, Peter Butterworth, he's just great, tremendous value, someone that the fans, it seems, want to see come back. Yeah, there wasn't, I mean, you had a bit of interaction with the, the locals, but it, it wasn't the most inspiring on that score. It's nice to see Stephen and Vicky getting that real sort of uh, friendly I think you called it like a brother and sister relationship going. Yeah. And I, I really like that. I think it just brings a different dynamic to the programme. So, yeah, I think in terms of where it takes the story, you've got the sort of key elements like discovering that there's somebody else from the Doctor's home planet and those sorts of things. So these are really big moments. But in terms of the actual story itself, there's there's not that much really to go on I guess so I've, I'm guessing that's really your your gripe with it in a nutshell yes but he did have that lovely pull down list of all of his uh, things that he had planned out that was nice yeah yeah and it's got one of the best cliffhangers of all time when the end of part three part three yeah when they discover the TARDIS, that's brilliant. Yes, you're right. That that really was, um, you know, and 
I knew it was coming and I'd seen it before, but it mm. it was great. And imagine if you're watching it for the first time in the 60s on broadcast, that would have been I mean that would have changed everything forever, wouldn't it? That mm. would have been that would have been the equivalent of finding out the doctor had untold previous regenerations in the most recent series. It's mm. just something that changes the the fabric and the universe of your show for all time. So really the long short of it was that me and Jim really liked it, you didn't, so you know, that's why it's languishing down around the bottom. Well, I can only apologise to the listeners, <laughs> to the the production team, any Ian, of them who are still you've with let, us. You've <gasps> let the listeners down, you let me down, you let Jim down, but most of all, you let yourself down. I, I, I feel terrible. <laughs> Do you want to have a guess at what came in in seventh place? I would like it to be... Um, I'd like it to be the Romans. <laughs> Is that your final answer? It is my final answer. Oh, well, that's, you're wrong again. Okay. It's Planet of Giants. Oh, wow. I thought that would have done slightly yeah. better. So, well, let's let's have a look at the how the scores came out, shall we? So our guest, Eric Escamilla, scored it four out of five. So that's... Um, we were going with the, uh, the scales, weren't we? Because it was about people getting smaller so we thought we'd halve the scores just because it was fun so it was effectively made it an 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. uh, you gave it a 9 right? and I gave it a 7 so that came out with a grand total of 8 overall 8 overall So, but yeah. it, was, it was basically you that dragged that one down well yeah I mean it's got some really interesting bits to it I love the effects i think they're really good for the time when you consider the budget they had again the story i suppose it's quite ahead of its time in many ways because you've got the whole ecological angle which you tend to think of as more of barry Letts 1970s thing but even as early as season two they're introducing that kind of uh, storytelling so that's another plus point but i suppose we're as we're giving these points as we're going along we're just kind of doing it in the moment aren't we we're we're doing it informed on the journey thus far so that's true it's so not it's all like very we're well comparing here you know with the benefit of hindsight but uh, so what what did you enjoy about planet of giants well i'm sort of obviously now it, it seems like such a long time ago but i remember the um sort of leather satchel was uh, really quite a magnificent bit of design um hmm. And some fantastic falling around in the satchel acting as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I remember Chesterton. Chesterton's being flung about acting mm-hmm. was, um, I, I mean, risible. Um, mm. And I can also remember there was a cat. Now I like a cat. I'm <laughs> I'm a sucker for a cat, so that was me good. too. Yeah. Um, I think I the think sink was rather marvellous. I seem to remember. <laughs> yes, agree. yes, there was a, a, a very well constructed plug hole. It's it's yes. interesting that Doctor Who can really excel itself when it's having to design really quite quotidian, mundane items like a plug hole, <laughs> um, and conversely, when it's charged with creating, say, a race of alien monsters, it can often hmm. go horribly wrong. But uh, this story really nailed that domestic angle. And I think, you know, yeah, the story wasn't um, it, it wasn't exactly like a, a 
globe-trotting James Bond-esque thriller. It was a very sort of domestic kind of kitchen sink foreheads murder mystery with some tiny people running around. Um, I think it was a lot of fun. I think it was a, a very yeah. exciting idea. But now that, now that we look back on it, you think they could perhaps have done rather more with that premise. Mm. Um, but as you say, with the budget being what it was, I yeah. think this was a, a damn good one. Hmm, yeah. So, I mean, even that said, I mean, it's coming in seventh place, but eight out of ten is pretty high. It is. This is what so I'm saying. It, it feels the standard like... Is, it feels like the standard has stepped up a bit from season one. It absolutely In our estimations, does. if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I think I, I'm assuming everything else is going to be sort of joint first, really. Well, we do have a few joint stories, but we'll come to those. Uh. Um, do you want to have a guess at what came in in sixth place? Sixth place. So mm. I'm going to ask, was it the Romans? It was not. How is the Romans doing this? Because <laughs> I've got my list here of all the stories from season two. Yeah. and The Romans kind of yeah. stands out as the most mm. kind of disposable of them all well in your opinion but maybe not in mine and our lovely guest's opinion yeah so in sixth place it was the crusade okay okay now Mm -hmm. that's that's fair enough that was um obviously the other historical story from the season so Um, uh, you gave it seven points right i gave it 8.5 and paul schoons gave it nine points so it came out 8.16 so just edged ahead of uh, the planet of giants okay well um i that's interesting so i obviously enjoyed it very much at the time i can't remember that much about it now and i mm. think this is where you get the kind of the missing episodes effects creeping in where <laughs> yeah. once you haven't seen the full story you experience it through the recons or you know mm-hmm. reading the book or whatever but yeah. it doesn't really sit with you as deeply or for as long so no it's difficult isn't it yeah i've 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 got very little to say about this one now i think in terms of what we can see of it in terms of those two extant episodes i think the cast is great the direction's really good i think this was was it dougie camfield i seem to remember one of his really early ones i mean it could have been yeah no i think it was uh so yeah i think the story rattled along i some of the historicals can be a bit of a trudge but i thought there was enough going on with this there was the conversation we had about the doctor and vicky being somewhat sidelined throughout the story whereas ian and barbara got to do the the more exciting parts of the story so i suppose if you're trying to pick a fault with it i suppose there is that element of it i i I think you should never really be sidelining your main character and certainly not yeah. at the expense of Ian Chesterton. Well, I suppose at this point in the, in the show's history, he's kind of the enabler, but he's not the the lead, I don't think, anyway. I think, you know, Barbara and Ian are your two main leads. And Vicky, apart from maybe this story, is a very, very close second. I think she's been fantastic since she came into the uh, TARDIS crew. Well, she's been the, the revelation of... Uh series two for me i think previously mm. i'd only ever seen uh the time meddler yeah so um and and 
you can't really get a feel for anyone on on one story mm. but um well having, i hope she sticks around for a bit longer she's really good absolutely I, i'm hoping she'll be be there right through to spearhead from space but um mm. we'll i'm sure we'll we'll see this unfold <laughs> as we get into series three and beyond um so yeah for me it was as you say a bit of a, a bit of a trudge a bit of a runaround and mm. I, I just you know when there isn't a, an alien with a bomb and a countdown mm-hmm. I just feel that it's um, it's not that it's wasting our time but that it's sort of treading water and, and what we really want is sort of jeopardy and peril and global uh-huh. cataclysms I mean even if the story didn't necessarily do it for you that much I think just hearing Paul recount the whole saga of how they managed to come across this missing episode was incredibly engaging and uh, I felt so stressed just listening to him talk I about was, it. it was just... I was sitting there, I was stiff with stress. I had beads of sweat on my yeah. forehead when they're in the, the house of the guy that's got it and, the, and he's yeah, screening yeah. it for them and they're sort of mm-hmm. sitting there trying not to start, you know, shouting or anything. Yeah, it was, in many ways, the story of its recovery is more compelling and propulsive and entertaining than <laughs> the story they recovered. But, uh, but yeah, wow. Yeah, that was something else. It was uh, really good having him on the show. So that was an enjoyable part of doing that one, I think. So after the Crusade, which came in in sixth place, we now have joint third place. Oh, my. So there are two stories in joint third. I Right, so I'm going to go out on a huge limb here. And mm-hmm. and this will surprise you. I'm going to guess. Is it by any chance the Romans and perhaps paired with the rescue? Oh, you're half right. Ugh. So in joint third place, we have the rescue and the web planet. You are having a tin bath. <laughs> well, let's just uh, review the scores, shall we? So uh, let's start with the rescue. So our guest, Dwayne Bunny, from the Sirens of Audio, gave it eight points. You gave it eight points, and I gave it nine points. So that came out as an average of 8.33. And tying up the scores, uh, we had the web planet. So our guest on that episode was the lovely Lindsay from the Trek This Out podcast. She gave it seven points. I gave it eight points. And you, Ian, gave it 10 points. Darn tootin' right I did. Yeah. Yeah. Talk us through that process. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... Obviously now I have a sort of dim awareness that I've made some sort of terrible error or faux pas. (laughs) But I would trot out the line that I think pretty much everyone says when they talk about the web planet and they talk Mm. about the sheer unbridled ambition of the production. Yeah. Um, in terms of populating a world with different kinds of alien creatures and mm-hmm. no humanoids, um, it's a, a very brave thing to do. And I've I've seen a lot worse in terms of costumes and um, you know monster design. So mm-hmm. I didn't even feel like the production was really lagging that far behind the 
kind of artistic genesis of the story. So I think if you look at the, the budget they had, the studios that were provided, the limitations of the visual effects that they were able to achieve, I think it's very impressive. Hence why I gave it 8 out of 10. And obviously there was just something else really that clicked with you that just tipped you over the edge into giving it a, a perfect 10. Yeah, I just, I it, it just felt so so other, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it does stand out potentially in the in the entire Hartnell era, but certainly in in yeah. series two, it just stands mm-hmm. out as being a, a real attempt to do a, a very different kind of science fiction to a lot of what certainly I'd seen that was made, you know, in the forties, fifties, and sixties, where mm-hmm. whatever planet you land on, everyone's basically a human. They might only yeah. be wearing like a leather jock strap and a brazier, <laughs> but um, they're they're fundamentally human. Um, or there's some sort of slave race of humans, so that the audience has a an identification point. Mm-hmm. But with this one, it was it was such an attempt to do such a brave, different, other, and really authentic bit of science fiction, and and that's using science fiction properly as it was meant to be used not not just as a kind of generic term for scientific fantasy um Mm -hmm. it was it was a a real um step out of out of out of line into uh uncharted territory and i think for the the sheer chutzpah of trying to do that i think the story um was just light years ahead of some of the more pedestrian offerings we've had so far mm-hmm. well let's flip that around because this story tied with the rescue I enjoyed a lot more if I'm going to be honest it's a two-parter so that probably helps a bit so it's you know packed with incident and it doesn't have time to sort of worry about padding things out it's a great introductory story for Vicky I think the conceit, although a bit daft, is incredibly fun. And the whole sort of meta nature of, even at this very early stage in the show's history, a man in a rubber mask turns out to be a man in a rubber mask. Uh, So, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And I think it's very worthy of coming in third place. I really, really disagree with that. Um, Hmm. I think... I, th- I think that sort of sequence at the end where the Doctor confronted Coquillion and he was sort of lit at, at a... not lit, shot at a bit of an angle and he looked a little bit threatening and I think as we said at the time there was something of the seventh Doctor about him, this kind of mm. small man of of immense and unmovable power and yeah. great knowledge and I think that was, mm. that was fairly iconic. Um, yeah. But I think the actual two episodes leading up to that was was kind of nonsense oh. the, the idea that Vicky's being held hostage by a man in a cupboard who is secretly um, also dressing up as a giant metal chicken <laughs> and threatening her um, I, I just feel like she'd have seen through his somewhat paper thin ruse hmm well it's one of those things that we all have our favourites don't we so you love the web planet, I love the rescue. 
we just have to agree to disagree. Well, we, we, we certainly can agree to disagree until you fix the time lash, and then you better watch yourself, because yeah. if you bend over anywhere near it, I'm going <laughs> to shove you so hard. Oh, right, OK. I was really wondering where that conversation was going. Um, OK, <laughs> let's move on, please. Please, God, let's move on. OK, so we have two stories tied for joint second place. Would you care to guess... What stories they might be. Okay. Um, for the love of God, tell me one of them is the Romans. And the other one? I so we've got we've got a choice of Dalek stories. Mm-hmm. Um I'm gonna I'm because I I do this, I'm a contrary basket. I'm gonna go with Dalek Invasion. I have of noticed Earth. this. <laughs> You are correct. Hey. So, uh, let's have a look. So, the Romans, uh, we had the lovely Eric Stadnik as our guest for that one. Eric gave it a 10 out of 10. I gave it 9 out of 10. You, you miserable so-and-so, gave it 7 out of 10. I I will defend that with every fibre of my being, <laughs> sir. <laughs> uh, so, that came out as an average of 8.66. So, there's not much in the sort of top... Uh, sort of six, really? No. At all, or even the top. Ah, oh, the top eight, really. It's just the last. The Space Museum is way behind on everything else. Yeah. Uh, Dalek's invasion of Earth. We had J.R. Southall, my old sparring partner from the Blue Box podcast. Uh, we call him the gave... Podfather, you know. We do, do we? Yes, okay. we do. Gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. No, I was gonna cut uh, off a horse's head and stuff it under his duvet. Oh, okay, fair enough. So JR gave uh, Dalek's Invasion of Earth eight points, I gave it nine points, and you gave it nine points. So mm. yeah, those two were tied. So which do you want to kick off with? Uh, do you want to start with the Romans and then build up to the one you seem I, to like better? Because you I keep going on back. I think that's a great idea. Well, the Romans, the Romans kind of, now that we've, we've seen the whole of the series, the Romans really stands out as being the least kind of necessary story. You know, it's it's a historical. Um, it's, it's a delightful luxury. It right. So as I think we said at the time, the first and the mm. last five minutes are beautiful in terms of giving the TARDIS team time to kind of breathe and live a little. Oh, and now I'm seeing why you've got this big issue with the Romans because this is the one <laughs> where you have to admit you actually liked Ian Chesterton. I found him to be a lot mm. less disagreeable than is generally yeah. the case. Yes, I um, see. But it all starts to make sense now. Well, so you know, if you if you strip out the element of give, and and I think this speaks to me being a big fan of the new adventure novels because half of the kind of guilty pleasure of those was the chapters where nothing would really happen, but the TARDIS crew would mm -hmm. just be, you know, living at the Doctor's house in Kent and eating toast <laughs> or whatever, the kind of domestic stuff, and that was the real strength of. Uh, the Romans was seeing yeah. Ian and Barbara kind of being a bit flirty. It's and, nice, they're in know. holiday mode, aren't they? Absolutely. So the way the previous story finishes off with that sort of cliffhanger that leads into the Romans, you think it's going to be this big, massive disaster where the TARDIS has fallen off the edge of the cliff, but actually we catch up with them several weeks later. They're just sort of chilling out in a, a lovely Roman apartment and just enjoying themselves and having a bit of downtime. 
I wonder if maybe um, so that that was at the end of the rescue, wasn't it? And I wonder if the writer yeah. of that story had just written that in as an exciting cliffhanger, and then the writer of the Romans pitched up and saw that was where he mm. was starting from. Thought. Oh, bugger that for a game of soldiers <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested in that at all and, and so you yeah, get this, this possibly complete um, anyway moving it along mm, they're in a villa yes um, yeah. even though technically that's breaking and entering so um, mm. I don't think we should be condoning Chesterton's behaviour I'm going to lay uh, the blame there at the feet mm. of Ian Chesterton so even though this is strictly a straightforward historical there's no alien involvement where I think it really ups the ante and really improves the overall quality and the, and the, the enjoyment is that it's a lot more humorous. There's a real comedy edge to it, which we haven't seen that much in previous historicals. This is true, and this does give um, a lot of different colours on the, on the palette that um, mm. the actors can work with and, and show different sides to their characters, and they're not always so sort of breathlessly earnestly um terrified at every turn and mm-hmm. they they you know they get to have knowledge of the situation and of the time and yeah um interact with it in a more um or rather in a in a less imperiled way they're not sort of mm-hmm. trapped on a world where there are acid pools that will kill them and the air is toxic and there's no monsters determined to exterminate them they are largely although although often they're not in control they are not powerless they mm-hmm. they can relate to this world a lot better and they can engage with it in a much more confident fashion and so even though the the story hits on all the tropes you'd expect it to so being thrown to the lions and and gladiatorial combat and slavery um mm-hmm. there is this kind of abiding sense throughout that nothing really terrible is going to happen to anyone yeah I think um, funnily enough not that long after we recorded that episode I forget who it was now somebody on Twitter had put up a poll asking do you prefer your Doctor Who to be funny or um, I forget what the other option was it was either exciting or you know dramatic right and Eric who was our guest on that show said well actually it works best when it's both and I think he's got a really good point maybe this is because I'm a massive fan of the Douglas Adams and Graham Williams era so So that's that's it's interesting because what I was going to say is do you think we're ever going to get a comedy Dalek story and I think um, Mm. Destiny of the Daleks from the Douglas Adams, Graham Williams era is probably as close as we will get. Well, you say that. There's another Dalek story that we may possibly just come to in the not-too-distant future that you could potentially call a comedy Dalek story. (laughs) But before we get to that one, I guess we ought to talk about Dalek's Invasion of Earth. We should do. And this is is so extraordinary that it hasn't won because for Mm. me growing up, this was the big kind of shibboleth of, of of fandom is that this is yeah. you know the the hands down greatest thing ever mm-hmm. the first time the daleks are brought back the first time the show decides to start cannibalizing its past in order mm-hmm. to create an ongoing narrative or two um they jettison I, susan 
Jettison Susan, we'll come to that, yep. have a, a huge kind of global um, story and uh, the, the stakes have arguably never been higher. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the drama and the, the, the sense of peril has never been greater, but uh, we, we somehow managed to avoid voting this top. I mean, I suppose yeah. I suppose part of that might be the heartbreak of of losing Susan at the end. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, the there was that kind of constantly increasing, rising menace of David's hair. Mm, yeah, which just got bigger and bigger the more peril they were in. And boofier and boofier. Boofy, as you so rightly, and boofier. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's as um, sequels go, it's got to be right up there with the best of them. You know, when you're looking at how they can think about bringing them back. So we've done the story where we visited their planet. So the next obvious step is that they come to our planet. And it's realised so well. Um, it's one of those stories where you start to see the series really begin to take off. We've had glimpses of um, location shooting in series one, but very, very small amounts. Um, But this really seems to... It's like they've just opened the studio doors and stepped outside and they are going to show us uh, a bigger worldview i know it wasn't quite big enough for you um because you wanted it to be you know you wanted them to go to the taj mahal and all these other places which is i can see the logic behind that unfortunately in the 1960s i'm not sure how they could have realized that in a in a particularly effective way whereas obviously going into the future and looking at when rtd did the whole thing with the cybermen you had the benefit of all the digital effects where you can just effectively lob them in anywhere and you can just create that effect well well, there's a logic issue here which is that let's say for example i'm i'm the dalek strategist i'm Mm -hmm. uh jeff stevens strategy dalek that's that's what it (laughs) says on my desk that's my job my job Mm. is to locate a section of the earth where we can um easily drill down and harvest Mm -hmm. the earth's magnetic core yeah. He chose Bedfordshire. Yeah. Now, I would say if you'd landed in somewhere like the Sahara, mm. where there are no people around to notice what you're doing, they. Well, there's probably Bedouins and they, well, those sorts of people. In the Sahara? Maybe. Well, all right. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll put out a poll on Twitter and see if we can find any, <laughs> yeah. but I think you're in for a disappointment. Um you know, if they'd done if they'd done that, then a the story would have been a lot easier in terms of you know building sets and so forth, mm-hmm. and um, you know there'd have been no humans. They wouldn't have had to bother with the robo men or subjugating the population. They could have just nipped in where no one's looking, yeah. dug mm-hmm. a big hole, nicked the centre of the earth, and been yeah. about their business in you know. Do you know, I think where they they may have made this mistake because Jeff, I think. Maybe something got lost in translation, but he's probably just looked at the the global map and seen Bedfordshire. Bed? Ooh, that sounds soft. Let's dig there. 
so what you're suggesting is that the strategy Dalek operates on very much the same decision-making process that I do, mm, because obviously possibly. I I would I would conduct most of my business from bed. If that didn't sound yeah. quite so terrible. <laughs> Lucky. Mrs. Martin, that's all I can say. Um, I mean, I do wonder whether Jeff was the same Dalek from The Chase who's the one that gets asked to do that mat mathematical formula and he kind of goes, oh, uh, carry the nine. <laughs> uh. So maybe he was responsible. It's all... It's like in Star Wars where you, if you wind it right the way back, you could just say, well, the guy who was operating that gun turret should have just shot all of those uh, escape pods and then C-3PO and R2-D2 wouldn't have made it down to Tatooine and we wouldn't have had the whole story play out. That's so maybe a, that's if a Jeff hadn't been in charge to happen. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's make this. Ian Levine, if you're listening, get on it. Well, I think it's important to remember that the Daleks are, you know, not robots and they are mm -hmm. um, highly evolved uh, blobs of, of hatred as is so commonly yeah. said and in mm -hmm. any in any sort of organic species no matter how much they've been genetically modified you are yeah. occasionally going to get a thicky mm -hmm. and you know the Daleks uh, just as much as any other species some of them are going to be a bit gormless so yeah. you're right in that perhaps it was one of those you know mm -hmm. less less academically gifted um, yeah. Daleks, I'm, uh, you know, he was probably great at sports, probably had great uh, mm. street smarts and, and, you know, awareness and skills, but just a bit of a cretin. Maybe he was a bit of a dullard, but was sufficiently popular with the people around him that he kind of just got elected into Dalek politics just through just being a generally a good chap and everyone thought, oh, it'd be a bit of a laugh if he got involved in it. And then uh, it all went horribly wrong from there. So... He's the Dalek equivalent of Boris Johnson, is what you're saying. I mean, I didn't say that. You didn't but... say that. No, that was no. not what you said. No, um, but so I definitely so, did not say that. So the affable chump Boris Dalek has uh, <laughs> rooted proceedings to Bedfordshire rather than an unpopulated mm. um, and excitingly exotic part of the Earth's surface in order mm. to save a few quid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know you have you have those toweringly iconic scenes and shots of a kind of an empty uh, London in kind of mm -hmm. a lockdown, empty streets that Barbara and and you know the, the gang run through, and some really powerful locations. And it would have been, I think, a really uh, kind of in in the same way that the web of fear is in that it's set somewhere ultra recognizable and um you know so many people visit that tube station every single day um mm -hmm. that it feels like you know doctor who's really happening in your back garden kind of thing yeah. um for for the first time so that i think contributes hugely to the enormously high regard the story is held in by literally everyone except us because we didn't vote it top. Well, I mean, you know, we voted it very, very highly. We did. There wasn't very much in it. Um, so that brings us, I think, to our favourite from this season, based on our scores. Mm. That's The Chase. So uh, in that episode, you gave it eight points. 
I gave it nine points, and our esteemed guest, Mr. Nathan Bottomley from Flight Through Entirety, gave it ten points. So that came out with nine points overall on the old uh, average ometer. Wow. So nine out of ten. Yeah, that's. Um, it. Are you a bit embarrassed? Because not at all. I th- I think it's tremendous fun. Sitting there at home, or going for their run, or commuting to work, listening ah. to our podcast, mm-hmm. who are going to be yanking out their earbuds, um, <laughs> snarling. Uh, why do I listen to these tossers? Yeah. They'll be saying lobbing their Bluetooth speakers across the room. Yep. Um, yeah. Missing their stop because they're so cross mm-hmm. with us. And yeah. I I only gave this an eight in my defence. So if you are listening mm. and you you do feel like staging some sort of violent <laughs> protest or indeed assault um yeah. don't don't come looking for me is is my message mm. to you mm. okay i think it was it was um it it played obviously right into uh nathan's sweet spot in terms of it being obviously mm. a little bit of a, a a lighter kind of funny story and yeah. I think we all welcomed that as a as a kind of general shift in yeah. tone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at the same time, f- as I felt bad that we didn't vote Dalek Invasion of Earth top, I sort of can't believe we've accidentally voted the Chase top. <laughs> well, I mean, let's examine why we scored it so highly. I gave it what did I give it I gave it 9 out of 10 and I think for me it was the fun factor I think uh, it was mentioned before by someone that it's kind of like a scaled down preemptive version of Dalek's Master Plan now to me Dalek's Master Plan is head and shoulders above the chase but I can kind of see where they're coming from and it appeals to me in the same way that when we watched season 1 I think we really enjoyed the Keys of Marinus, which was another Terry Nation. And there was that whole thing of it was, in this case, it's we're planet hopping and we're going to various locations in history. During Keys of Marinus, you're kind of going to these various locations. It just keeps it fresh and you're getting a new location each time. And I think that helps to keep the the interest for me. And uh, it's just a lot of fun they'd start taking it a bit less seriously. It's a bit less po-faced. There's still some real drama in there. I think some of the direction, although your relative Richard Martin gets a little bit of stick from certain <laughs> quarters, I think there's some really good stuff in here. I think the um, the fights between the Mechanoids and the Daleks are really well done. Okay, some of the stuff where the Daleks have to be lifted up off the floor because they can't walk along the beach, that's not so good. But, you know, that just adds to the enjoyment. And I think I said at the time, we we went over to our friend JR's house and just watched this. And there was a, a various people who were either big fans or weren't fans at all. And everyone just enjoyed it because it was such a hoot. You know, you, if you're not laughing with it, you're laughing at it. And it's just tremendous fun. Yeah, I suppose there is... Um and it, it comes back to that Twitter poll you were talking about in in terms mm. of do you like your Doctor Who to be high stakes drama or yeah. do you like it to be fun and it's you know it's kind of do you want City of Death or do you want Legopolis and I think mm. I think you need both um, yes 
But I think if you, if you had nothing but one or the other the whole time, that would wear thin quite quickly. But because you've got the ability to mix up the genres and the the styles from a story by story basis, I think that helps to keep it fresh. I think maybe that is the secret to why this show's been going for nearly 60 years, whereas <laughs> a lot of other shows which have as much scope, something like, you know, mm. Star Trek, where they can just as easily turn up in a different place every episode. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of peter out because, and I say this from a place of almost complete ignorance, but I feel <laughs> that they don't vary their tone very much and it's always kind of on the same level. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd have to agree. I mean, I'm not... I, I am quite happy to sit down and watch a Star Trek, but I wouldn't class myself as a fan. I'm not invested in the same way as I am in certain other properties. I mean, or or something like Buffy, but Buffy's always, mm-hmm. there's always a certain base threshold of comedy, even if it's yeah. a kind of tearjerker season finale yeah. where she has to kill Angel and, you know, chop off mm-hmm. Sander's face or something. Um, yeah. So, yes, I think I think there is a lot to be, a lot to be found in those stories that do um, strike a different tone or, or play mm-hmm. it more for laughs. And it's interesting that as you say, this one, like Keys of Baroness, again, attributed to Terry Nation. Now, I'm not saying he didn't write every single word. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But it's interesting that we seem to be returning to him again and again as, as being one of the most entertaining storytellers in the show's early phase. Yeah. Because I don't think that's a widely held opinion. No, and that's what, that's kind of the fun of doing the stories this way around, just experiencing them in that chronological order. You're getting perhaps a different view of these stories when you see them in context with the others. That's true, and I suspect that with, you know, not, not to pick out Terry Nation, but I guess with any writer for the show, there's mm. going to be a kind of a uh, law of diminishing returns where the stories... Yeah begin to get a little bit less exciting with time mm-hmm. and, and a, a little bit more hackneyed and, and recycled and as you say we will no doubt come to that um, but but for now for where we've got to in, in the series um, the chase was just uh, another breath of fresh air, we've already had The mm-hmm. Web Planet which was the show really striking out on onto a different plane of science fiction and this one I think kind of best sums up that changing dynamic behind the scenes so I think in season one the show was very very much uh, a more focused more straight laced uh, mm-hmm. family entertainment uh, show with a strong educational element yeah. and I think by now they're, they're kind of shrugging off those constraints and they're just thinking mm-hmm. right we've got six episodes let's have a bit of a laugh and I think that will hopefully continue and and that kind of uh, style of storytelling will bed in and become the kind of de facto, um, mm-hmm. you know, format of the show. I think, yeah, it's it's the behind-the-scenes evolution of the series that's, that's this story, I think, best evokes. Absolutely. I just, I've really enjoyed pretty much all of season two there weren't really i mean i know we've kind of ragged on space museum but I, there weren't any that i thought oh god I, you know that's 
hours of my time wasted. I just enjoyed everything I saw, some more than others. But um, yeah, I, I'm really, I've not, I've never, I don't think I've ever been really down on Hartnell, um, so to speak. Ooh, that sounds a bit grim. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he wouldn't necessarily have been one of the ones I put right at the top, but I am really enjoying this journey and I'm seeing him develop as a character and I'm liking where it's going. So let's hope that that continues for season three. So season three, I've had a look on Britbox mm. and I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you right now that the episode count is, shall we say, a little light. Of existing stories, yes. Yes, um, yes we do. Unfortunately, we are, we're now entering that territory where there are a lot of missing episodes. So we're going to be relying on things like uh, telesnap reconstructions and animations and and audio recordings and maybe even target novelizations to get through it. But I really am looking forward to season three. There's some great stories in there. I think it's um, obviously it it is a regrettable situation that there are any mm-hmm. episodes of, of the series missing. But I feel like yeah. in some ways fandom is very lucky that these first two full series are by and large... Um, mm. in existence and extant because it gives you yeah. I, I think the position I'm in right now is I have a very good feel for the show and mm-hmm. it's got a very strong foundation and okay yeah. I'm going to go through some seasons now where it's a little bit less easy to, to watch some of the stories but, mm. but because I know what I should be getting from them um, yeah. I'm prepared to make that sacrifice. Was it the other way round? And mm, you know, yeah. the, the the first entire season was missing. I yeah. don't. I don't know that. I mean, the show would probably have survived and endured in much the same way as it has. But I think mm-hmm. for you know neophytes starting out with the show, coming to a program where okay, you can't watch season one because it doesn't exist. Yeah. But start with season two. I think it would really scupper anyone making the same pilgrimage that we're on. Yeah, no, I think you know, you're absolutely right. Also, the thing with season three, apart from some of the really great stories, in my opinion, you've got the whole drama of what's going on behind the scenes as well. So you see Verity Lambert leave and new producers come in and it becomes a bit of a revolving door, shall we say. Brilliant. I'm very much looking forward to series three. Mm, me too. Yeah, can't wait. So I suppose we ought to wrap it up, haven't we? Yeah, I, I, I think we've done, we've done very much what we came here to do. I've drunk an incredibly nice pint of beer, I've eaten <laughs> crisps, and we've talked about season two. We've, um, I hope, entertained as well as stunned the listeners who will now regard <laughs> us as the worst kind of, um, yeah, human yeah, effluent um, for, for daring to yeah. have the temerity to accidentally <laughs> vote the chase into first place <laughs> on, on that, um, on that basis. What, what, what are we going to enjoy most in season three? Well, there's one massive epic that stands out above head and shoulders above everything else in that season for me. And that's the Daleks master plan. Right, uh, okay. Which doesn't exist in much more than audio and a bit of reconstruction, but I love it. It's been a long-standing favourite of mine, and I'm just dreading that you don't like it, because if you don't, <laughs> then I don't think we can be friends anymore. 
Um, well, in that case, I will repeat my central message, which is to get the time lash fixed very quickly, <laughs> so that uh, w- one of us, should it should it come to pass that we mm. we violently disagree about the merits of that story, one of yeah. us can be flung into the bloody thing, and and there's an end of it. Um, mm. I don't really know enough about season three off the top of my head to know what other stories are in it. There are some mm-hmm. that I'm going to have known through reading the Target books when I was a kid. There are some yeah. I may have, you know, seen or well, not seen, obviously. There are some <laughs> I might have heard on some, you know, cassette releases or something back uh-huh. when I was young. But for me it's all a kind of soupy blur now until 10th planet Mm. i know vaguely what stories are are coming but i don't know much about them i don't know Mm -hmm. anything about dodo i don't know anything about the changes to come in the tardis Mm. team so it's very much um a real open book for me so i will just be approaching it clueless and wide-eyed like some sort of (laughs) idiot and um, we'll see where it gets us. Yeah, well, you know, I find that quite entertaining in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it because, you know, for the people like me who might be, well, I was going to say jaded, but I'm not really jaded. But, you know, if you've experienced this before, albeit in a slightly out of order way, you can perhaps take some of the stories we're going to be looking at for granted, whereas you're going to be coming into this fresh as a daisy looking at these things in some cases for the first time and uh, getting a whole new hot take on them well I guess that's what we're here for well yeah let's see how it pans out Yeah, there's nothing as important in the world as giving hot takes on a you know, 60 year old TV show <laughs> it's a point of difference I feel I guess I guess <laughs> Right, well, should we should we head back to the TARDIS and continue our journey? Yeah, I think we should. Um, so thank you all once again for continuing to support the show by listening and by leaving your reviews and also sending us your fantastic feedback. We really do appreciate it. And um, we will be looking forward to joining you again and we'll be joined by the rather lovely Andrea from the Trek This Out podcast for galaxy four so until that i've been ian and i've been mark if you'd like to get in touch you can email us at mailbag of at gmail.com we're also on twitter at time and space pod and you can also find us on facebook if you want to leave some audio feedback there is a link in the show notes you can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback or if you're listening via the anchor website you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music. <laughs>